You are deserving and worthy of love and abundance and joy. You were just born with that right. It's a birthright. And when you really start to understand what that means, then you take the pressure off of what has to happen and things start to just flow in because there's less pressure on it. Welcome to Messy and Magnificent, the place driven women come to elevate their career, health, and relationships. In here, we increase your productivity by replacing always being busy with the space to breathe. Hear your own wisdom and be part of a sisterhood that has your back. My name is Carly Fain, and together we're going to make sure that you have a doable plan and the roots to rise. Well, welcome to Messy and Magnificent. It is your gal Carly. And if you're joining us for the 10th time, the 85th time, or the first time, I am so glad that you are in this community with us here. And I'm really curious if this happens to you too. You ever start to think about a person or a topic, and the next thing you know, that person contacts you out of the blue Or wherever you go, you just keep hearing information about that topic. Maybe you're seeing it in magazine articles or the radio or passerbys on the subway or overhearing it in your local coffee shop. Well, that happens to me all the time, especially when I stop pushing so hard and relax a little bit. And let me tell you, we have been spending this month here exploring joy as a professional practice and I've had a much needed opportunity to connect with what brings me joy in this process. And if I'm frank, I really needed that. In my neck of the woods, things are opening back up again after more than 15 months of COVID quarantine. And while that sounds great on paper, and I am very thankful that we might be turning a corner in some ways here, my response has not been a lot of joy right away. In fact, it's been really interesting. Maybe it's because there's a twinge of potential relief in sight here, but my nervous system that's been holding it all together in survival mode seems to have softened a little bit. And I'm noticing that I just want to curl up even extra and lay low as I process what we've navigated so far and what it means to have had a host of changes that felt really unpredictable and unsure And how that's happening again now as we open back up. And this is precisely why joy is so important. It's this learnable skill set that keeps us buoyant even in tough times. In fact, especially in tough times. Because maybe you heard when we outlined on episode 83, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes, that joy is different than happiness. And it helps us navigate our careers and our health and our relationships with far more creative problem-solving skills and resilience and grace and success. I mean, it feels good, but it's also about a lot more than just feeling good. And then on episode 84, we spoke a little bit about what sabotages our joy and what to do about that. Well, today, we're going to share some real stories of women that are tapping into joy, how they're doing it, and I'm keeping this one particularly close to home. You know, Vivian Cornick, she's the author of Unfinished Business, Notes of a Chronic Rereader, which I can totally relate to that title. I haven't read the book yet, but that title makes me think, oh, that's me. I reread a lot of times. 
She wrote an article in The Atlantic just last year called Why Some of Us Thrive in Crisis. I'll put a link to that in the show notes here. It's worth the read. It's fascinating. But she explained the ways that we rally together in solidarity during tough times and how our ability to connect with other people can be the make or break difference keeper between just scraping by and thriving. This article's full of insights, but there's one story that really stuck with me. She mentioned the experience of an Italian writer named Natalia Ginsburg. Now, Natalia Ginsburg came from a dysfunctional family, and very early on, she learned that she was going to have to shroud herself in her own sense of protection and guard herself from others in order to survive. And so she developed what's called an emotional anomie. And I'd never heard the word anomie before. I had to look it up when a friend pointed it out to me. And so an anomie is a breakdown of our ability to connect with others. And in some cases, if we really break down our ability to connect with others, this can lead to a disconnect from social norms too, giving rise to a sense of isolation and factions and fractions rather than a sense of solidarity and unity. And this really stood out to me because this is a pattern I watch a lot of high achievers within my coaching practice exhibit. In fact, you might have heard me mention this term before that we've coined here in the practice because this is so common. We call it popular isolation. And popular isolation is this interesting phenomenon for driven women where you might have good friends or family or coworkers, people that you care about that care about you, and yet you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. Like you need to figure everything out yourself and nobody really understands what it takes to get through the day or to get to where you're trying to go. And I've often wondered, anecdotally, if some of this is the experience of us having been in environments where we were aware that as human women, if we didn't rally and fight for ourselves, that we might not have the chances and opportunities that we need. And while that's a wonderful skill set, the ability to show up for our beliefs, our dreams, our goals, the shadow side of that is it can be exhausting, leading to burnout, leading to a sense of anomie or isolation. And so what was really interesting was that in the 1940s, when Natalia Ginsburg's husband was detained and executed by the Italian government for voicing his anti-fascist beliefs, Rather than retreat back to her anomie, back to this guarded sense of isolation that she knew well, Ginsburg stepped out of that pattern to connect with her community and country. And in doing that, she found this energy, this rally for reform and to create change. Well, today, you're going to see a little bit of what stepping out of anomie and back into the joy and solidarity with ourselves and others can look like in real time as it relates to our career and beyond, is I welcomed a very special friend of mine that has been with me during some of our best and toughest professional moments. Jennifer Madriz is an LA-based interior designer and the owner of 7th House Designs. And Jen and I met over a decade ago when we were both at the peak of our touring lifestyles. We were both working as right-hand women in entourages for A-list celebs. And speaking of things that sound good on paper, (laughs) touring with rock stars is very much like the title of this show. It's got its magnificent benefits and there's a whole lot of messy to navigate to. So when Jen and I worked together, we both witnessed and experienced traumatic fallout. 
We were part of cultures and events that were really intense. And fortunately, we had what we called in our entourage a sanity circle (laughs) that kept us level, even in the toughest waters. It was just a couple people on every single tour. We made sure that we had each other's backs, we connected with one another, and we navigated these turbulent challenges. And you'll hear more about how we explain how that sanity circle worked and how it bought us both the time to make thoughtful decisions about when to change careers. And eventually it led us each to finding a more life-giving way of working in the world. You see, Jennifer decided to stop playing small, to stop ignoring her own needs and sacrificing herself for her clients. And you can expect to hear on this episode, the very candid and practical step story of how Jen created a new career for herself that gives her life rather than drains it. And the one specific focal point she made that has made all the decisions that she's had to make while navigating her career a lot easier and more clear. And then you're also going to hear what happens when we leverage the information our bodies give us as professional resources instead of something to ignore or push through. So if you're ready for a little more joy in your days in a very genuine way, no rah-rah happiness, but actual fulfillment and a boost of solidarity, this is the episode for you. Plus, you're just going to get to hear the cathartic joy of two old friends catching up informally. I wish you could have been there hanging out, sipping tea with us. You'll hear how Jen and I talk and listen to one another with curiosity instead of judgment, because we all need a little sanity circle right about now. So I can't wait for you to tell me at the end of my conversation here with Jen, what stands out for you? This episode is brought to you by the Boundary Academy. 15 years of coaching thousands of women has taught me that it doesn't matter how good our plans, our intentions are, our network, or even our access to external resources. If we don't have the boundaries we need to honor what we care about, we will always struggle with a lack of time or energy or money or downright satisfaction. You see, women who have thriving, healthy careers and relationships know that boundaries aren't just something nice you get to later. There's something you practice gently now so that you have the later that you want. So you can get free access to the recording of the Boundaries Brunch we did right before the Boundary Academy opened. There's a link to it in the show notes wherever you're listening or head on over to carlyfane.com. And in this 45-minute class, you're going to learn the three mindsets that women with healthy boundaries already know and live into, plus lots of rich, candid conversation with thought leaders in the field of boundaries and women who are just getting started. There's nothing for sale in there. Just rich content you're not going to get anywhere else. Because that hunch you're meant to be doing something meaningful and enjoyable with your life and career, it's right. I hope you'll join me and women from around the world that are making having boundaries oh so doable. I would say something that I feel like needs to be heard is just, it just doesn't serve anyone it doesn't serve the world for you to like small your your shine you know like we're all meant to shine and I think that sometimes it can be a bigger message to like encourage others to like to shine as as bright as you so yeah it's 
that's something that's been on me, on my heart. So I'm so glad you're here, Jen. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I missed you. I missed talking to you. I know. I know. I'm so glad that we're getting to catch back up. I know we said when we got to talk recently, how we always just pick up right where we left off. Those are the people I really appreciate. The ones who, wherever we left off, it doesn't matter if it was a month or two months or two years ago. It's like, oh, there you are. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like no time has, has went by. Yeah. So you just said something really powerful about, I think of like hiding our light under a bushel, right? Like the beauty of when we allow ourselves to inhabit our own light, you know, and to take up space and to be in the room that it's inspiring to other people. And you said something really interesting the other day when we were in the Boundary Academy. And if you're okay, I'll I'll bring it up. But you mentioned that, you know, as a kid, you had an experience that I think a lot of us had around, you know, kids were expected to be seen and not heard. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you and I, when we got to talk the other day, one of the million things that I really appreciated was how good it felt to just talk honestly about our experience being an entourage together. There aren't a lot of people that Mm -hmm. have had that life experience. And, and then of course, every group is different. And so to be able to talk about our exact experience for me, I'm going to use, I can't believe I'm using this word, but it was really healing. It was really healing to talk about that, have some things be seen and heard that I couldn't talk about with anybody else. And, And so I'm curious for you, if you were raised in an environment where kids were expected to be seen and not heard, did you see that show up later as an adult in your work? Yeah, 100%. I think that it was so embedded in my, in who I was as a full functioning adult that it wasn't until recently that I realized that. I could even have needs that mattered and I could like express them and that it shouldn't be a battle or it shouldn't be like, I shouldn't feel like I'm stopping the world by just like telling my partner, like, Hey, I need a little bit more communication from you. Or like even going back to work, like, yeah, like just understanding that I'm entitled to my needs. Like I can absolutely have time for myself. These little things that like you don't even realize that you're actually privy and entitled to. You go through a lot of your life thinking that you're not. Or for me, that's my experience, you know? So it was not only like a huge revelation to me, but it was also like learning like, well, what are my needs? And then like not feeling guilty about them not feeling guilty about having those needs because it's literally just, you're asking for like the bare minimum. It's your birthright to have. Okay. This is huge. I think what you just said, and tell me if I'm getting this right, because it sounded like there was multiple steps. First, there was this belief ingrained in a young age, be seen and not heard. You're here to be, make other people comfortable, right? Or fit into the role that they need you to be. And then Mm -hmm. that shows up in work, of course, right? Because if that's an unconscious belief that's just there, it's going to show up in work. And I can't wait to hear from the women listening if this is relatable at all to them too. But then once you realize that, A, you have needs, (laughs) that's an actual thing. There are things that you need in order to function. And then it sounded like the next step was starting to clarify what those are. Like, what exactly are my needs? And then being able to articulate them or at least not feel guilty for having them 
Like that's huge. And so I, I wonder, Jen, could you give an example of what was one need you realized that you needed at work? Like what was one thing that maybe you weren't getting? And this can go back to when you and I were working together or any time where maybe you didn't know you needed it and you finally realized, oh, this is actually really important for my work or, or my well-being. It's interesting because I think I'm in the phase of the stages. I'm still in the phase where I'm learning to articulate it and like not feel this heavy uncomfortableness and like, you know, you make yourself really small and you feel you feel like you're bothering someone. So I'm an interior designer. And so in that, and I'm freelance and I'm, it's just me really. So I'm lucky enough where I do get to take on clients as I can or as I want. And, and also I can make my schedule, but I think that there's this idea because it's just me and because I'm working with budgets and that I would need to, it's it's a thing that I'm working through, but it's, um, making like someone's budget, like me overextending myself in ways that are not necessarily like on me to do personally on a personal level, overextending myself to make these budgets work where in reality, in the regular professional world, like this is what it costs. And if it's not in the budget and that's not to take away from my clients because my clients would never impose these things on me. They're just things that I felt I personally had to do. Like if the wallpaper, because it would be like peel and stick wallpaper. It's not actual wallpaper, but let's say, you know, that cost a lot of money or we couldn't find someone to do it with it. I'd like raise my hand and be like, I'll do it. And I've never done it before. And I, here I am like learning how to do something overextending my, my time, my body, because it's not like, obviously that's a whole skill. It's like labor. Right. And then it's like, now I've taken it on. So now it's like, I can't back out completely, you know? So, and it literally becomes a domino effect into everything else because now what I thought in my own mind, and as I said, these are things that this is me learning myself. It's not even there. That's what makes it even more like to me, a little like crazier or like more interesting to look at is because they're not even things that my clients suggest. It's the way that we volunteer ourselves sometimes to do things that no one asked you to do. And then now yeah. it's taking you like two weeks to do something you thought was going to take you three days. Now it's fall- like you've fallen behind on everything else. You don't want to deal with like the guilt or- of it of like, Hey, I actually don't know what I'm doing. And like, and I've done that. I mean, also as a new designer, like I'm learning, but I've done that too many times. Like, it's interesting. It's interesting. There's a good, there's a good part to it, which I would say the good part to it is that I am the kind of person I really like to be hands-on. I like to know a lot of like, I like information. I like being able to do things. So I guess the good part is that you're learning a skill, you know, like even if it's just like a one-time thing that you're learning to do, but so I guess that's the takeaway, takeaway, but Oh my God, that is so relatable to me. And I think probably any high achiever can like raise their hand and be like, yeah, you're talking to me. Cause I think like there's the perfect recipe, the equation for me in my head for exhaustion and overextending ourselves is being capable of learning how to do things and wanting to be liked at the same time. Like, so if you are capable and you want to be liked or you want your clients to like you, or you want your clients to book you again, like that is a recipe for disaster 
in that we overextend ourselves. And, you know, I think of um, like the scarcity mentality when I came to entourage work, and I'd be so curious for your perspective there, but I remember being told my first day with my first client before I met with them, their manager got on the phone with me as I already flown in, like I flown into their destination. I was at their hotel waiting to get on their tour bus. And their manager said, look, we've never had somebody stay in this role for longer than two weeks. If you can last longer than two weeks, we'll be really impressed. So like if you hit three weeks, that would be amazing. And in that moment, there was this sense in my head of, I have to figure out how to become invaluable to this person, because if I don't, they're going to fire me. And I need to do whatever needs to happen to make myself irreplaceable. And that's what I did because that felt like good professional sense. Like I'm going to make sure, I'm going to show them how whatever they need, I'm there before they even knew it. And that's what happened. I would create these roles for myself an entourage where I was super valuable, but I was talk about when you say self-abandonment, I had left myself like on the side of the road at one of those bus stops like a long time ago. And so I'm capable and I want my clients to like me. And that was the recipe for disaster for, or what I should say is something that's unsustainable. Yeah. And I think even listening to that question coming in, I think that there also comes, you know, a strong sense of like validation versus rejection. Like if I don't do good, I'm not good. Then I'm, I suck like everyone else and I'm a failure. So there's a need, there's that added pressure of like needing to be validated as a person even, you know what I mean? And I don't, I don't think it was necessarily intended to be delivered in that way, but that's how we receive it. And so it's like, our, it, it's really complex how like, there's so many parts to it. I think that go into it where it's like, at the same time, you're just trying to like validate yourself, do these false like narratives that, you know what I mean? That we create in our own head. And I think it's a little bit of both too. Like this is where I want women or anybody listening to maybe extend ourselves a little grace. Cause I loved what you said about how you raise your hand to put up the wallpaper, even though you've never done it before. Cause you're thinking this will save them money. This will keep them on budget, right? Like how generous that is. And so how that was an internal thing. Nobody asked you to do it. And that was like this internal need to, or default, right? But I also do think that there are some cultural things that happen that do give women the impression that they're only good enough if they're validated as such. And that's a really important thing to unpack and to figure out how do we self-validate a little bit? How can my sense of worth not be dependent upon whether or not somebody else thinks I'm doing a good job? That's so true. That actually resonated. I have goosebumps. This has probably been the biggest, I think, theme in my in my late 20s. And like, I would say definitely after after like, working with you and like working on, on, on the road and stuff was like this idea of my sense of identity and importance as a human. And I only mattered if I was successful. Like if there was one thing I had to do was like be successful and be good at, at my job and my career. And I think that also comes from like single mother, independent, you know, my mom was an immigrant with three kids, single. She never really you know, did like government. So she was government programs. She was always kind of like on her own hustle and bustle. And I internalized that. And I felt like my sense of worth as a person and was solely dependent on my success. And I wasn't even worthy of like love or a relationship or, you know, I I've had to like, once again, myself felt this, this need to like, maybe 
exaggerate my achievements or not let the people close to me, like I would say more romantic, but know the truth of like where I was actually in my life, like the vulnerability, I couldn't do it. I couldn't be honest and vulnerable. And when I had that realization that no, like, you know, that's not, that's not actually true. And that like, you're deserving and worthy just as you are. And I think that has been the biggest turning point, the biggest realization that just allowed me to really come into my most authentic self Mm -hmm. is knowing that actually you don't have to do anything or be anything. You are like deserving and worthy of love and abundance and, you know, joy actually you were just born with that right you know what i mean you were just it's a birth right obviously environments that can give us that but regardless of the fact that's just a birth right and when you really start to understand what that means i think that was the most powerful you know thing and then and then you take the pressure off of what has to happen and things start to just flow in because there's less pressure on it Yes. So this makes complete sense to me because it's been my experience a bunch of times and I think it's going to keep being my experience every time I forget that I don't have to force things and I start to accidentally force them or work hard. Then I get to remember again, oh, wait, actually things come to you really well, Carly, when you give yourself quiet times, when you've eaten meals, when you've gotten a little bit more sleep, like, you know, when you've carved out moments for yourself, things get a lot clearer. But I'm I'm wondering if you know, for anybody listening who's hearing this, who's thinking, okay, yeah, 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 that sounds really nice. <laughs> like, like, it sounds really nice to go from hustle to a sense of, you know what, I'm worthy of good things. And now things are, the door is going to open for me. I'm wondering if you'd be willing to share an example of what that looked like. An example of maybe a moment when you were working hard or a moment when you got clearer that, you know what, like I deserve good things regardless of whether or not you know, anybody else validates my experience and what that looked like, like that shift is really powerful. Yeah. Uh, you just mentioned something that like, I, I totally resonate with that. I saw like a huge shift in, and that was in something as simple as your body. And I've gotten really good at meditating and like the self-love and affirmations. And I would do, do all of these things And like still treat my body like crap. Like, and I just mean like eat what I want, like literally live. When I really look at it, kind of live like out of a child. Like, you know, children go to sleep when they want. They eat when they want. They eat what they want. They just do things when they want. (laughs) That's how I was treating my body. You know, I was just, hey, if I go to sleep at three in the morning and I got to be up at seven, hey, whatever, who cares? You know what I mean? Like, coffee. I was just, you know, six cups of coffee a day, whatever I needed to get through. And things were still like, actually, like, I I mean, I I saw a lot of self-improvement, like, especially emotionally, mentally. I, I been going to therapy for years and I, uh, I like, I recommend therapy to anyone, but, um, it wasn't until I started to actually implement, I saw a video on like reparenting and how that can look even just on a physical needs level of, you want to be in bed scrolling on your social media for hours before you go to sleep. But the parenting in you, you know, your higher self has to come in and say, Hey, you have to be up really early tomorrow. Like, you know, this is not going to be good for you. So just put your phone down and go to sleep, you know? 
and I like saw the video and I was like, wow, that's so crazy. That's me. Like, you know, and when I started to implement my physical needs, I started to meet my physical needs from not what I want to do, but what is better for me, eating better, going to sleep earlier, maybe not having, you know, a couple glasses of wine every day at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Like these little things, I started to see huge, like I felt even more aligned. And I I came up with a theory or an idea. This is how I view it in my head. I believe that when you give your body like what it needs, it's actually thanking you. It's like, thank you. So like, that's actually self-love on a different level. It's not the emotional, mental self-love. It's a physical self-love and your body physically responds to it in a way that I didn't really see, foresee because it's my body. Like I, I didn't see it as disconnected. You know, it's so funny to me and not funny, haha, but funny as in, it's just this funny things us humans do where we forget that we have a body. It's like we're running around all day long in the body and we forget that it's there. And we're trying to like give it a slice of pizza or a sip of soda, like in between doing all the other tasks. We forget that this body is the vehicle that's allowing us to do the work. And we disassociate. When you say disassociate, that's what I think it is. It's like we've disassociated from our physical, our physical form in our work. And also, and I, I would also, even going to work, like I would do binge days of like, because it's a creative process for, for my, what I do is creative. There's, there's definitely other parts to it, but the initial is a creative process. And I don't know where I had, to, I, oh, I got this belief. I feel like a lot of people do. You do better under, I do better under pressure. So oh, that belief, that old belief, I do better. Under that pressure. belief is just its own thing, its own monster. And so i would cram. I would, I think about it. I'm like, I would put my poor body through like two to three days of like nonstop caffeine, of just unrealistic, like, like things like even in school for my finals for design, like I would be up working on a final till six in the morning, knowing I have to be in class at eight. Like, right. Why are you doing, you know, and you don't realize that what you're doing to your body, because you're, you see, it's what you just said. You, we, we, disassociate from it and we just believe it's like working for us which it really is but it's just it's it's just incredible how like we can just totally negate it and and it still shows up for us I know right it's still there it still protects us so it's like love to my body but yeah you just explained this beautifully I think you took some of the like for lack of a better term the the woo-woo-ness out of this like the practicality of if I want to feel more in alignment with my work, if I not, I don't want to feel like I have to hustle all the time for you, part of that gateway was just to reconnect to your body. Like, what is it that my body needs? And I know that like, my body gives me a lot of information and sometimes it does it in the form of, it's always sensations, right? So the body is like a, a, a feeling, it's um, you know one of the senses, right? I hear something, I smell something, I want to taste something, whatever it is. But I think that my body gives me information. And sometimes it's as simple as when I'm going to schedule something in my calendar and I feel a knot in my stomach as I'm doing it. And I can ignore that knot, you know, and schedule anyway, or I can listen and go, wait, why are you feeling a knot? Are you overscheduled that day? Or are you saying yes to something you don't actually want to do? Or, you know, does this need to be a different time or a no? Like there's those little whispers of information. And then we often talk about how those whispers will mount. The body's giving us information. It's actually there as a guidance system. If we don't listen at some point, 
it gets louder. It becomes a migraine or it becomes a health issue or it becomes burnout or, or whatever it is. And so I just really appreciate that you articulated so clearly that the path for you was to just, just listen to your body a little bit. Yeah. And it's interesting that you say what you just said, because I can totally admit and say that, like, especially in therapy, I would say the first like year and a half of therapy, my therapist would always ask me, how does that make you feel in your body? How does it make you feel in your body? And I used to look at her like she was crazy. Like, well, what do you mean? It's like, it's in my head. She'd be like, well, just take a second, feel in your body. And there's been so many conversations where I'm like, I literally don't feel anything. Like, I think I just feel like it's in my head. It's in my head. I used to always say that it's, it's above my head. Like it's above my neck. She's like, okay. And you know, she was really like, she didn't like, you know, impose, like she just was like, okay, cool. You know, moving on. And there became a realization where, well, I do remember one exercise was that exercise was she would, she would say, okay, try to drop below your neck. So that, that kind of helped. But then I started to realize that for every emotion, every belief, every childhood thing that we, you know, maybe were taught growing up that, that either serves us or doesn't serve us, there actually is a feeling, a, a physical feeling that comes from it. For example, when you feel like maybe anxiety in a relationship from, you know, maybe your partner's withdrawing, you know, this could be, you know, something for me, but maybe you, you have a withdrawal or an abandonment belief that we all can have in different ways on different levels. It's a very, it's a human need, human emotion. And so there's a way that it feels like it's a way that it like, you know, whether that anxiety is like your heart starts racing and maybe you get, I actually just felt it. Like you get like, you know, adrenaline coming, you know, from the top to the bottom or whatever, or maybe, you know, if you feel like a jealousy or, you know, like a, a envy is that feeling can feel it's a natural emotion and it can feel its own way. It can be very, maybe very constricting. And when I started to learn about how these emotions literally have a physical sensation and what does that actually feel like? Because then you start to make the association that they're kind of always there. It always feels the same. The anxiety from withdrawal always feels the same. And it's a very different feeling from a rage or, you know, anger or sadness, totally different. And when I started to pay attention to my body in the, in those ways, it gives you so much more information. It gives you, and then it's something that you said the other day um, in the boundary class was now you take that information and you become curious about it. And you're like, okay, why are you here? What are you telling me? what does this mean? It's telling you something. And, and, and if you can get curious about it, you can really make some, a lot of headway, I think in work and relationships. And yes, well, what you're talking about is to me, it's just tapping into an additional resource. We have this physical resource that helps can help inform our decisions and help us know when to say yes and when to say no. And how much we're capable of doing in any given moment and when it's okay to make an exception and when it's not okay. All the questions that women ask me a lot, how do I know when to say yes? Is it okay to make an exception on this thing? When do I need to be firm with myself? That information resides within our body and why not tap into that resource? Like why not be fully resourced? And there's, we've got our intellect, we've got our emotional information, we've got our social circle, we've got our expertise and our training, and we've got our body, you know, and I just think, why not use that when possible? And 
And you remind me that the gateway for me anyway, with that, with returning to my body was around what information is my body giving me right now? And I would just sit quiet and it wasn't profound. It was like, okay, it's telling me that the temperature in the room is a little cool. Like the air feels a little cool on my skin, a little cold. Okay. And that can feel revolutionary. I was like, well, that's, how's that going to help me make a business decision? <laughs> like I need to turn the heat up. Like, great. You know, but that was the starting point. And eventually it was like, well, I feel like I have a headache. And to your point about the curiosity that we talk about in the Boundary Academy. Okay. Well, why might I have a headache or wait a minute? I do have a headache every time I talk to this person. What's that about? <laughs> What's going on there? Like, and just being curious or like, oh, my stomach is rumbling. What's that about? Oh, I skip lunch. Okay. Noted. I keep skipping lunch. Like what's going on there? And so it just starts with what is one piece of information my body's giving me right now? Like that's yeah. And I think another thing too that I would say it all kind of it goes hand in hand. And it's like one thing that you mentioned is the quietness. You have known me for years. You've seen me pretty much go through like my twenty, my early twenties into like now I'm thirty two. So I remember like even meditation was like this thing that was like just not my thing. I'm like being quiet with your mind. I, I, I used to feel very unnatural for one, especially when you're first starting. And then two, like it just, I didn't see the direct correlation or benefit of like why this would actually be helping. And now I would say I meditate and I, I, I mean, it's a resource that is like one of the strongest tools in my toolbox. I try to do it daily definitely like when I'm going through a lot of like pressure, but where I think for me that like that it really shifted and it changed was the idea that like our bodies literally, they have like universal intelligence. Like, I mean, there's like cells, like millions and billions of like cells pumping through your body, doing all, you know, all of these um, chemicals that are being released on like every emotion. It keeps your heart going, keeps your brain and you don't have to think about it. Like it's your body just doing it. And so sometimes when you quiet into that central intelligence of like that universal intelligence, quieting the mind is really just like tapping and going inward and kind of feeling into that. And, and you do, I, 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 this comes from the most like non-meditative, like person and very just disconnected from the power of my body and what it's giving me to like a true believer, because when I started to implement, I, I practice transcendental meditation, mm-hmm. which is also there's studies that have like hundreds of studies that show that it's actually healing your nervous system, mm-hmm. which is huge in itself. It's very healing to the physical body along with the, the mental and um, emotional parts. But there's a, co- like your brain starts to work in a more cohesive way with the body. And on top of it, it's almost like you just start to try, you just naturally make better intuitive decisions that don't require like the, the, the woo woo or like the depth of like, Oh, like, you know, what is this meditation? Like telling me it's like, it's like just impulsive, like decisions where you're just, it's like how, like on those days you just go through all the green lights or you answer the right call. They're just impulsive. They're not thought through your body is just now your body, your brain, they're aligned and they're just working with you. They're working for you and you just, you trust yourself and, and now you're in flow. Like that's really the flow state, I think. Yeah. But it's, I think sometimes there's a disconnection of like how you get into that state. And it's, it's yeah. honestly, the irony is it's through the going inside and just sitting with yourself for a second and like letting the thoughts go through. 
You just gave me so many, so many ideas, Jen, as you were talking about that. I think about, you know, our earlier thread of conversation about being raised in a house where you expected to be seen and not heard and how to listen to your thoughts then, even through meditation could be a really off-putting experience. Like the goal was not to hear your thoughts <laughs> and then to have to sit. And I think for a lot of women, that's, you know, why something like meditation doesn't work, at least initially, just because when it's the moment we get quiet, when we finally start to still, all the things that have been below the surface begin to bubble up and it can be really active. And it, we could feel, a lot of us feel anxiety. We feel tension. We feel stress. We feel really uncomfortable in that in that moment. And so I have so much appreciation for the different forms like of meditation to me, meditation is just about being present, right? So for some people, they're meditating when they're on the dance floor at the club. For some people, they are meditating when they're rock climbing or when they're knitting or when they're playing with their grandbabies. Like they are in that moment. Like that is the gateway. You know, it's not about sitting and totally, you know, in a quiet room with on. like that might be something we work towards, but I'm just, you said something really important about the nervous system. And we're seeing so much research come out about this idea that a lot of our stress response is just based on having overly amped up nervous systems. And that all these things that we try to do or calm ourselves are hard because our nervous system isn't being addressed. And that's the, the connecting point between our brain and our body. And if our nervous system is operating on beliefs around fear, around not being enough, around not having enough shelter or love or affection or whatever it is, then we're going to be in that stress cycle. You know, it's going to show up in our work. And, and I, I think more and more, and this is anecdotal, what I'm about to say, but I think more and more about if things like perfectionism and anxiety and an overwork ethic are really just trauma responses to being a human woman on planet earth. Because I do operate from a belief that if you are a human woman on planet earth, you have experienced trauma. That is the nature of it. And then if anything else that throws you into a minority category on top of that, like doubling or tripling down, you know, on the trauma that you've experienced and that this can show up in a, I have to do it all myself if I want to get it done right mentality. I have to be the one to raise my hand to put up the wallpaper, even though nobody asked me to. I need to, I love your authenticity because I can relate to that one. I need to be demonstrating to everybody how successful I am. Uh, I can't be vulnerable and say like, ooh, I didn't make enough money this month or ooh, I'm worried about I'm going to make enough money. That's too scary to do when we feel like we're in a survival mode. And so just that, you know, addressing the nervous system. And I'm going to put some links in the show notes to a, um, a guided meditation that we did to help with that. We'll put a link and it's totally free. Anybody can download it. But some other books and resources around tapping into the nervous system as a way of just gently reconnecting with the body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you know, one thing that helps me with that is having conversations with you. I know. We can talk about this. Like that is healing in my nervous system to go, Oh, I can relate to that. Yeah. Okay. All of our conversations though are just, honestly, I have some of the best conversations with you. Like I've known you for so long. I always tell you this. I'm like, Carly, you've literally put a lot of these, the stuff that I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing now and I'm learning and I, I can like speak on now. There are things that you are like putting, there were seeds that you planted in my head when I was like, I remember like 24, you know, we'd be on the road. These weren't things that like 
were second nature. They're not resources that like, I would even say in my family were like the norm. I'm like the pioneer in my family for this stuff. I'm like, I'll pay for your classes. Like, you know, like my family's like, what? Like, but there were seeds that were planted, you know, really early by you. And I say this to you all the time. I'm like, at the time, like I would kind of understand them. They seemed abstract, but I'd be open to them. And then here we are like full circle, like years later. And I'm like, I know what you meant now. (laughs) I get what you were talking about. Well, and vice versa. And I think we need to share a little bit about our experience if you're game with this, because I'll speak from my experience in the entourage that we were in. I think we were probably in the same, that particular group for like three or four years together when we clicked. And that particular group that we were traveling with, I had a real sense is it wasn't safe in terms of power, that there was a sense of like, it's dog eat dog and not everybody's looking out for each other. In fact, there are people who want you to not do well because then they will look better. Right. And there was like one particular assistant that was like vicious. Right. Who like, and, and we created this informal thing. I remember we used to call it the sanity circle. And there was just a few of us in this little sanity circle. And we'd like, you know, just try to check in with each other and, you know, Another couple pilots. I remember one of the audio, like the sound engineers and you, and you were the only person in that entourage that I actually felt safe with. I felt like you had my back. First of all, like if I was going to miss the plane, you were going to call me and be like, Carly, the plane's about to take off. Where are you? Like you would have had my back and vice versa. Like Jen, I just got a call. We need to get to the jet. But also that we could talk about these things that felt vulnerable. And I realized now I had... You were literally like the only person in that entourage that I could do that with. And then I was lucky enough to have my partner at the time who I trusted. It wasn't a lot of people. It was just one or two. And that was enough to keep me sane. Like that, not to have one other person to go, did you see what just happened? Am I crazy? Or is this situation crazy? And we could laugh or cry or process together. And I just think of like, for any women who are out there listening, how important it is that we have one person. It's not even 10 people. It's not 20 people. It's one, like who is the one person that you feel safe with and have you connected with them? And if you don't know that person yet, who is the author that you can read and fills your cup or what's the podcast you can listen to, or what's the movie that feels like it validates you until you, until you find that person. But I, I just wanted to reflect that back, you know, that you were that person for me too. And that's the thing. I think that I feel even something like this podcast though alone, because the reason that I say that is because I think for me, because I was so young and naive and I was like, literally like 22, I took on this position that I had no idea what the world, like, you know, I'm 22 is such a young baby age. And I was coming into this like really doggy dog world and it, it like took a beating on me and you were definitely, you were not only one of the people that like had my back through it, but you also let me know, like, also like, this is not normal. Like this is also not how the world actually, some parts of the world function like this, but this is not normal. And at the time, like you just don't have the wisdom yet. You don't have like, you know, like I said, I'm a kid, like going into this like world open eyed. I didn't fully get it like at the time I was like well this is kind of what's happening but no like you know for you for me like you were kind of that person that didn't normalize it that you were like this is just also not normal this is not how you know adults should be 
functioning. Um, you know, there was a lot of like good times. And then the, there was a lot of stress that we were like things that were just not normal in every circle. And so I think even sometimes that enlightenment, because if you weren't there to tell me that, like no one else would have, you know what I mean? And so I think even things like these pod, like this podcast in particular, your conversation about like bound, the, you know, boundaries is normalizing like what a lot of people might just take as their norm like as a this is just life this is normal and it's like it no. can be your circumstance but like there has to be like that stretch or, or or there's there's more out there you know what I mean and you don't have to settle for like what is the norm if, if, right. if it's not what makes you happy Yes. And can we just throw that out there to anybody listening who's feeling like you never fit in, you work really hard, you're never fully appreciated, or something's not working for you and you're wondering why you can't keep up. I just want to plant the seed, we're planting seeds, that maybe there's nothing wrong with you, that maybe there's something dysfunctional happening, right, in your work. And like, to be aware of like, is that at least a possibility? You know, can we explore that? Maybe it's, you know, you and I were, we were on call a very literal 24 seven together. And we might be expected to be in a studio for 36 hours without going home or 48 hours without sleeping in a bed or going like, that would be a normal thing. And in that, right. Remember. Right. And it's like, to us, that was normal. Or somebody ODs on something, we go to the hospital and we go straight back to work. Like that was a normal thing in that circle. And I would always wonder, why am I tired? Why am I snapping at my loved ones? Why am I not there for weddings and funerals? And, you know, it's like that was in our circle normal, but it just so happened that that normal was really dysfunctional. But when you're in it, it's so hard to see it. And so thank gosh for the people that help us see yeah, I actually have to, you, I literally got like a rush of just like goosebumps when you said that, because that was really important. And like, I think it resonated with me on such a deep level when you just said that exploring the idea that like, maybe there's nothing wrong with you and that there's just a bunch of dysfunction happening around you. And I think for me, I used to internalize every failure. And I used to like, just every, every time I messed up, even if it wasn't my fault, which a lot of the things were actually not my fault. Looking back, it's like, literally I was not given much to work with, but, and, but you know, like, and how I would internalize these things and make myself devalue myself. And, and they would make me, they would make me feel like I wasn't good enough. I wasn't doing something right. Like I always had to, you know, play catch up. I was living life through so much fear and like just disconnection and, 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 and just looking for outside validation from people that like, now you look back and you're like, actually the whole situation alone was dysfunctional and there's nothing wrong with you. And you're just literally doing the best that you can with what you have. And sometimes understanding that like, no matter the pay, no matter the like status or, or, or on your resume, what it can look like, you know, it's that self-betrayal of like, and, and it's not always self-betrayal because sometimes, you know, I get it. You feel like you have to do what you have to do. And I feel like that job, absolutely. There's a lot of great things that came from yeah. it. I yeah. was making great money. I was traveling world. I, that name on my resume that, you know, that on my resume was just alone, you know what I mean? Killer. But it's just the idea that like, at the end of the day, like, 
how much of your self-worth are you compromising and understanding that sometimes it's not you, like you're not crazy, you know, there's just craziness happening around you. And yeah, that's important. That's huge. Uh, Let's just keep connecting for the rest of our lives and talk. No, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. I'm so glad we get to be humans together. (laughs) I know. So, Hey, are you game for the the two way Q and a? Yeah, I'm down, I'm down. All right, here we go. Question number one, Jen Madrid. If you came with a warning label, what might it say? Hmm. I don't know why the word explosive just came to me. I feel like I'm very like quiet until like I'm not. And then I'm like a burst of energy. So oh, explosive was the first thing that came. So I'm going to go with that because. Yeah, may, may explode with energy. Absolutely. Heck yeah. <laughs> So what's a question based on our conversation that you might have for a woman listening? What are you curious about? Hmm. I'm really curious about the connection. I think just where I'm at in my life, just the connection of what other women's experiences are with the connection to their bodies and how that might feel and like with no judgment, because even now when I have that conversation with others who are in a different part of their journey, it it could feel like nothing, but just that question, just opening that question up and saying like, what do you feel? And if you don't feel anything, that's okay too. But looking at that, that space and just, you know, getting to know it because then it starts the curiosity of it. Yeah. It's a lot there for like a lot of, like you said, um, intelligence, a lot of information, you know? I love that question. So where you are in terms of your relationship with your body and your connection to your body. And we'll make sure that we put a link to Jen's social media in the show notes here too. So you can tag her and tag me with your answers. We'll keep this conversation going. Yeah. You want to know. Here's my last question for you, Jen. Okay. Even if other people disagree, what is one thing you know to be true? Hmm. Um, definitely that like we are, it is our birthright. We are born to, you know, have all the love, all the abundance, all of the freedom and joy. And I know that it's not as easy because the circumstances that we can come into. And, but when we know that like, it's our birthright. You know, I don't, everyone has different beliefs, but just like, if you believe in a higher power, higher being, like we we come from, we're light and love, like at our core. And that, I think that's why certain things like love and expansion draws closer to what we know. And certain things make us feel really disconnected from it. Like when we have maybe rage or anger, because that's not, you know, our, our, our source. And so I believe that when we on a very deep core level, understand that like you, you don't have to do anything and nothing. You can just be, and you still deserve all the love and abundance that the universe can offer. And like God can offer it. I think that it can be a a game changer. And I've seen, you know, miraculous things happen. Another thing too, actually, this just came up. I was reading a book. It's a, it's an older book, but it's called A Course in Miracles. And A Course in Miracles, it said, Miracles aren't supposed to be these occurrences that happen here and there. Like they're actually supposed to be very normal. They're not supposed to be miracles. And I feel like when I start to adopt these things, 
that we've spoken on today. And like, even just that truth, that hard truth that like, I am deserving of love and abundance without doing anything, without moving a muscle. And I started to see miracles happen in my life often and more and more often and things that are like, you look and you're like, that can't be a coincidence. Like that's legit a miracle. And I think that was another truth. Like these are supposed to be normal occurrences. And if we can just open up to that idea, I think that maybe we'll see more of them. Oh, Jen, you're amazing. I haven't, you know, I haven't read A Course in Miracles, but I I read one line from it once and it was about a miracle. The definition of a miracle is a shift from fear back to love. Like that's what a miracle is. 100%. 100%. talking about this entire conversation really is where have I been coming from fear or worry or doubt and how do I shift that back to a more loving place and I just so appreciate you talking about the body is one way of reconnecting to that absolutely thank you for being here absolutely thank you for having me I'm so happy to have been here Oh, it's so good to talk to the people that get it, isn't it? (laughs) I really appreciate Jen for many reasons. And I especially appreciate the question she asked us here. What is one thing your body is telling you? What is one piece of information you can sense? I hope you'll be in touch with me and Jen on social media. Her Instagram handle is Seventh House Designs and Seventh is spelled out S-E-V-E-N-T-H. I'll put a link to that here in the show notes, wherever you're listening. We would love to hear what stands out for you. In fact, if you leave a review for this episode on iTunes with a little bit about what you noticed in this episode, I would love to share that with our community and give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. We really do rise well together. And when you leave a review, it helps us in the algorithm so more women can be part of this conversation and we can reverse some of this anomie that might have allowed us to get some things done at first, but now could accidentally limit us from the amount of joy and opportunity available in our careers, health, and relationships. And this is one very simple way that we can address that. Because going it alone is possible. (laughs) But my experience has taught me that things take a lot longer and a lot harder when we expect ourselves to do it all. Women who thrive know the power of including themselves in the conversation and community of those that give them life. Remember, you thrive through nourishment, not punishment. Keep taking care of what you value, including the relationships that give you life. And I also mean the relationship you have with your body. And I'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Messy and Magnificent podcast and being part of this dynamic, life-giving community of women. I consider each episode part of a lifelong conversation of you and me hanging out, sipping tea together, making sure that all women become richer, more nourished, and able to keep on rising. So I'll see you on the next episode next week. But in the meantime, don't forget to head over to carlyfane.com forward slash podcast to get the full show notes. And I've also got some extra special free resources for driven women over there that you won't find anywhere else.